You know, when I was a youth pastor and we had the junior high retreat, I didn't have somebody to pawn off a message to when I came back, like, where I could just rest. And I, I had to do it all. I had to, he is smart. He's way smarter. That's why he has a doctorate and I don't. That's a, and there's no doubt in that. So. And I'm glad to be with you guys and excited about this series because uh, back in, man, early September or so, we started working with some teenagers talking through Better Together and what it would look like. And they've got some ideas of some things for small groups to do from this point until the summer to, to help relationships grow. And that's, that's where we're headed for the next three weeks is talking about relationships and how we are better together. I'll tell you a little bit more about it when we get going, but I want us to open with a word of prayer and then we're going to jump in. Jesus, thank you for so much for what you did in the life of some junior hires yesterday and in the life of some high schoolers. They had the opportunity to practice leadership, not just to learn about it, but to do it to invest in students, to pick them up when they fall down playing games, to share with them in small groups, to be an example of what it means to be a high school student who's following Christ. So Lord, I thank you for them. Thank you for what you've done this week, and I thank you for what you're going to do through this series. Because Lord, we know that you've created us for relationships, and the closer we are to you, the better those relationships will be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, a little pop culture test. You ready? Let's see how well you do in identifying the music that your teenagers listen to, okay? Here's a set of lyrics. I need to know who knows who, without Googling, that's cheating. Who's saying, I'm so sick of that same old love, feels like I've blown apart. I'm so sick of that same old love, the kind that breaks your heart. That same old love, that same old love. Who knows it? You're right. I did not think anyone would get it. And to finish out our message today, come on, coming up, Jared. Knows it better. I, would, I didn't know who this was. I mean, I know Selena Gomez is, but look, look at this lyric. You know, here, here's, I'm, I'm blown away, man. You're like, you're like dad of the year. That's impressive. Um, and speaking for the rest of the men, we're also embarrassed for you. Um, <laughs> Sing about love, wanting love, wanting relationships. It's interesting, in the summer of 2017, Selena Gomez, even though she was riding the wave of some uh, chart-topping hits, disappeared that summer. No tour, no radio uh, interviews, no TV appearances. And we didn't know until the fall of 2017 what had happened when she tweeted this picture uh, of one of her friends. She had had a kidney transplant. And so that's why she had disappeared. Hit that next picture up there for me, Gary. Um, and she, she told everybody by letting it, let, put, posting on Instagram and throwing out a shout out to, uh, I think her name's Franca. I, I had to ask some teenagers, like, how do you say that name? And they didn't, they didn't know either. But uh, her name was uh, Francia Reza. She's an, an actress, but they were good friends. And here's the thing that I thought was really interesting and compelling about the story is Francia Reza told her family that uh, she was going to be donating a kidney. But she went and got tested to see if she would be a match on her own, didn't tell anybody, went and did a lot of the pre-op stuff on her own, then later told her parents, hey, here's what's happening, but never, never told, from what I understand, her parents or anybody who the kidney was being donated to, because she knew what would happen if that became public knowledge. It would become a circus. And what I found compelling was that is here's somebody that, that cared more about friendship than they cared about fame. You know, they said, you know, this is, this is not for the world to know. This is not for social media to know. This is for me to show love to a friend and, and to help change her life. I thought, man, what a great 
picture of friendship. And I want friends like that, right? I mean, don't you? I mean, somebody donating a kidney, that's a big deal. That's not like, hey, I'll loan you 50 bucks. I mean, that's, that's a major surgery. It's giving a part of your body for someone else. I want friends like that. We want friends that, that we can share life with, friends that we can go deep with, friends that we can talk about the things that, that, that create fear in our life, to celebrate the things that, that are, are joyful. We want the type of friends that we know they've got our back no matter what. The type of friend, you might have some of these. These are the great friends, the ones that when distance separates you, you know, they move or whatever, you, you stay close, and when you get back together and you see each other, it's been a year later, two years later, you pick up right where you left off, right? The, those type friendships. And all it takes to really understand the power of friendship and, and how important it to, is to us is to experience a real serious bout of loneliness. If you've ever really felt alone, it'll change your perspective on relationships. When I was in my early 20s, serving at a, at a large church in Austin, um, I was single, I was in the city. I mean, I knew people, but I didn't, I didn't have any close friends. And, and I, I went through this time where I remember being lonely. Our, our church had a large singles ministry, a real large singles ministry, but I wasn't connected there because I was working, working in the youth ministry. So all of my Sunday mornings, my evenings, and things like that were, were geared around teenagers and families. So I had no connection, even though there was this large group of people. And I wasn't like on Tuesday nights or a Friday night or Saturday afternoon, like, like hanging out, like calling teenagers going, hey, you want to go hang out? I mean, I went to games and things like that, but I wasn't, I wasn't building friendships with 15-year-olds. And all of our youth workers, like every one of them just about was a, a married couple. And I remember one night, I mean, it's still vivid in my mind, early 20s, I remember driving, I'd left the church and I was going back to my apartment and I remember thinking and praying, God, could, would somebody just call and invite me to dinner, like to their house to hang out? Because I don't, I don't want to go back to the apartment. I had a roommate, but he was never there. I don't want to go back to the apartment by myself again. And I'm, I'm an introvert. Like, I, I get energy from being alone. So I'm not talking about being alone. I'm talking about loneliness, that feeling where you're the only one and no one else is around. If you've ever felt that, you'll value relationships in a different way. And it might even be a different, it may not be just physical loneliness. You, you might, as a parent, have had some instances where something happened in your family, something happened in your marriage, something happened with your kids, and, and it, was, it was one of those kind of shock and awe moments, maybe. And you wrestled with it because you may or may not have had any of those close friends. You didn't have anybody to dialogue with. And, and what it felt like is that you were on an island all alone. And that's why I've joked for years about this, this group. Saying, you know, this group, the power in it is not so much uh, lessons and even, even connecting with your teenagers, even though that is a powerful thing to know what they're hearing, be able to discuss it. But to be able to sit in a group, if you can get to the relational place in your group where you can say, this is happening in my life, this is happening to my kids, and you hear someone from across the circle go, yeah, that happened to us too. All of a sudden, the island disappears. You're not alone anymore. There's some relationships, and you, and you can lean in and go, oh, okay. It just is a game changer. You might have even walked in, though, talking about loneliness. You could have come into a room like this before and felt alone in the midst of 70 people. You might even know people 
You might I know them, I know them, I know them. But you come in, you see a group of people, and, and they are just relationally more connected than you are, and they're laughing, and they're cutting it up, and they're having a good time, and, and you walk into a thing like that. And even though you know names and you recognize faces, you still feel on the outside looking in because you don't have the relationships that others do. Loneliness is difficult. In fact, I think, I think loneliness is one of the most difficult emotions, I guess we can call it an emotion, most difficult things to navigate in life. And here's one of the reasons why I think loneliness is one of the major reasons that we end up battling some of the sins we battle. In our own discipleship journey, I think loneliness, the enemy uses that, isolation. Think about, think about things that separate you from God and how many of us, not all of them, but how many of them are rooted into relationships with people or the fear of losing relationships. And as you get older, that changes a little bit. But if, if you go down that hallway and you start talking about things that kids are struggling with, the decisions they made that put distance between them and God and their relationship, you know how many of those are wrapped around, I, I, I want to be known. I don't want to be alone. I want this group of friends. And if I'm going to be known and have this group of friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do X, Y, and Z. Because X, Y, and Z, even though I know it's wrong and my parents found out, they would beat me and... God would not want that for me. It's, it's less scary than being alone. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big deal. We're going to look in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to flip over there. If you don't know where it is, if you open in the middle of your Bible, you generally will hit Psalms. Um, if you go two books over, two books towards the back, you'll get to Ecclesiastes. It's written by King Solomon. Um, Solomon, known for his wisdom, in Ecclesiastes, he wrestles with a lot of things in life. And he says some of the, uh, you might have heard some of the phrases or verses where he says, you know, hey, there's nothing new under the sun. And he wrestles with uh, what really matters. And in chapter 4, where we're going to be, and if you're a student of the Bible, you've probably heard this uh, passage a few times before. But he, he starts in, in chapter 4, verse 9-ish, he starts talking about the value of relationships. And as he does that, as we move into that, I want us to understand this. When we're talking about loneliness and being alone and being, having friends and we're talking about the battle of sin, it, it's not just for us. Solomon, thousands of years ago, wrestled with relationships. And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, when God says, he's, Eve is not even created yet. It's just God and Adam. And God says these words. He says, hey, it's not good that man should be alone. And he creates Eve, the first marriage. But you know what God didn't say? God didn't say it's not good that Adam should be unmarried. He says it's not good that, that Adam should be alone. Now, here's what's interesting. That was stated before there was sin. That was stated in the midst of God and Adam having unbroken fellowship. Like it was God and Adam in the garden together. We see pictures in Genesis of them communicating, talking together. And it wasn't like Adam was bored. He had a, he had, he had a job. He was naming all of creation. I mean, he had things to do. He is in relation with God. And even in the midst of that, God said, not Adam. Adam didn't complain. God said, hey, it's not good that you're alone. He created Eve. Because God knew that when he made us, we were created for relationships. And that loneliness is terrible. We don't like it. And so in Ecclesiastes, Solomon's going to lean in. He's going to talk to us. We're going to talk about relationships. And, and this week in the line of friendships. So when you go this week and you pull up the yap that's got some parent questions, there's three in there we loaded, and, and tonight or Wednesday night or sometime after, before or after kids have heard this message on Wednesday, and you start leaning in, talking about 
friendships. I don't want us to, as parents, just talk to our kids about friendships because we as adults, we need relationships because God just didn't create our teenagers for relationships. He created us for relationships. So we're going to talk about that. Next week, Michael's going to come back and talk about better together through the eyes of family. We are better together with our family. And then the last week, we're going to talk about church and how we're better together. But this week, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and read you 9 through 11. We're going, to, we're going to stick in verse 12, but just to give some context. Here's what Solomon says. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? And then in verse 12, he says this iconic verse. He says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Look at verse 12, the very beginning, go back, we're going to kind of walk through. He says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, and there's, there's this picture being created for the original reader. In fact, that that word attacked and defeated, I'm reading from the New Living Translation because uh, it's easier for kids to grasp a hold of. Uh, but if you go back to the Hebrew word there, the root word that that Hebrew word comes from is the word, is the word strong. So, so there's this picture developing. You're walking down the road. Maybe it's at night. It's just you by yourself. You're in the wrong part of town, and somebody's coming towards you. And it's not just somebody, it's the biggest, scariest, strongest looking dude you've seen. And all of a sudden, even if you're a guy, you kind of take note of what's what's happening. Because this guy looks scary and he's coming towards you. You know instantly, like like when you you have this experience that that this is not going to end well. That's the picture that that Solomon's giving when when he says in verse 12, he says, uh, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. If you're, if you're a lady, you may not have conjured up the image of a UFC fighter coming down the street because you don't know maybe any UFC fighters. But, but it's the idea there's, there's somebody out there that's, maybe it's another lady that's uh, in a parent group, and she's the one that has all of the power. She's got the power of words. And, and you know that if all of the other friends of, and you, you know, all the mom friends or whatever and the group of kids that you run with, you know that if this lady starts talking, if you're on her bad side, it's going to change everything because people listen to her. She's the, she's the strong one. And what Solomon says, and it's not new, it goes back to the beginning of time where Solomon says, hey, if it's just you, mano y mano, it's much more likely that you're defeated to the strong man, to the person who has all the leverage, to the person who has the power. But then he gives this truth. He says, but two can stand back to back and conquer. He says, if you've got that other person, if you've got the friend, when trouble comes from a broken world, you've got a partner, you've got a buddy, you've got somebody that can do life with you, that that stand together. You know, how how many times in youth ministry, you've probably done this with your kids too. Like if kids go, hey, can I go to the bathroom? You look at this other sibling, you go, yeah, go with them. Right? You send them in pairs. Hey, go together. It's why why when we go to Six Flags, even though Six Flags is not like a, a dangerous place, the rule is never be alone. We want you with other people because it's a matter of safety. There's safety in numbers. And so Solomon says, hey, when it comes to important things, spiritual things, life, hey, you might be overpowered when you're one, but if you've got somebody back to back, you've got the partner, you've got a friend, 
And we're not just talking about an acquaintance. You got somebody that's willing to go back to back with you and say, hey, I'll stand with you. I'll go where you go. I'll fight what you need to fight. I've got your back no matter what. He says, you can, over, you can overcome. When I was in high school, I mean college, lived in the dorm, and I lived this reality. We, we realized in our dorm, they were just small enough that we had the two beds on either side of the dorm, and you had uh, a box spring, which really wasn't a box spring. It was just a really thicker mattress. And then you had the cheap mattress on top. And we realized that if you took the two cheap mattresses off and you laid them in the floor, it, was, it fit perfectly between wall to box ring to mattresses. And we made a giant wrestling ring that had an upper level from the box ring in the bed. And so I was one of the littler guys. I've had a few too many breakfast tacos since then. But me and my roommate, Ricky, who was a much smaller guy, we would always fight these other two guys named Billy and Lee. Just this college guys having fun, not like really fighting, but, but both Billy and Lee were much bigger guys. In fact, Lee had been an all-state defensive lineman when he was in high school, and so, I mean, they, they, they would kill us, and so we would fight all the time, and, and I mean, you got the mattresses, and, and other people from the dorms would come in, and here's what would normally happen. It would be a tag team fight, and it would be Ricky against Lee. Lee outweighed Ricky by about 100, 125 pounds, and it was, it was a mauling, and Billy standing there waiting to tag in so he can beat on Ricky some. And it wouldn't be odd for somebody to come down the hallway because it's loud, poke their head in the door, say something, and as soon as Billy turned, I would come off of the top bunk on top of Lee, and Lee and Ricky, I mean, Ricky and I would turn the tables, and we would just both start trying to fight for our lives because he's the big guy, and then Billy would see what's happened. He'd come around, and we'd go, no, 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 tag in, and, you know, we'd run for our lives. That, that was, and we just did it over and over again. Every, every opportunity we had to turn it from one big guy against one small guy to two small guys against one, we took it because that was the only way we were going to win. That's what Solomon's saying in life. We live in a broken world, and you, you need Jesus-driven friendships because Jesus-driven friendships help keep a broken world from breaking us. And we have those people. Here's what he says at the end talks about two, and then he says, hey, three are even better. I would have loved to have had a third partner um, in those fights. Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. You know where that imagery is coming, right? You take a stick and break it. You put three together and try to break it, it's much stronger. Solomon gives this picture of not just a cord that can be cut through a torn, but, but three cords that are woven together because not that it can't be broken, but it takes longer. They're stronger together. And so that's the picture that Solomon gives us, and it's this piece of wisdom that you and I, as adults, our kids as well, but you and I as adults, we need people to walk with us in life that are deep, deeply connected to us as friends. We need it. We need those Jesus-driven friendships because we live in a broken world and it'll keep it from breaking us. So as we talk about this this week, and you know Michael's the same way I am. We, we are about application. I, I don't want anybody here in our church or anywhere going, going to another Bible study just to gain more knowledge. The disciple walk is to take the knowledge that we get from Scripture, that we get from Bible study, that we get from a class, a Wednesday night discipleship class, and, and we, we apply it to our lives, and it transforms us, and we start living it. So a lot of times with students and with parents, we talk about application. So... As you look at this passage of Scripture, maybe back to the course of the week, God might speak something to you. Holy Spirit might go, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to be a 
three-strand cord. You need this person to be back to back. You need to do that that I'm not privy to because that's a conversation between the Holy Spirit and your heart. Whatever that is, you go do that. But we want to give you some ideas if you're going, man, I'm still processing through that. It's the first time I've heard this verse in a while. I want us to think through some things that we can do, some easy things. Pick one of the three I'm going to give you to say, hey, this week, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to try to accomplish this this week just to see what would happen. Here's the first thing. I'm asking our kids to do the same thing. The first thing is to be a friend. I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about friendships, and we, we want friendships. And we want friendships because friendships make us feel validated, right? I mean, you would love if you came into a room like this and you didn't know anybody. You would love multiple people to come up to you and introduce themselves and, and, and ask deep questions, and uh, maybe not deep questions right away, but ask good questions that later could get to deep questions. Uh, you would want that. It makes you feel loved. But you know what? Having friends is much easier than being a friend. But if we're going to love God and love people and help others do the same, part of loving people means we've got to stop worrying about having friends and start worrying about being a friend. And that's risky. It's risky. Because if you're the person that goes out of your way to talk to somebody and, and, and four weeks in a row you've looked at talk to them, and on week five, they, they ask you, tell me your name again. All of a sudden, that kind of hurts. Because you go, man, I've invested, I've done a lot, you, you don't even remember my name. And we go, okay, I'm kind of, I don't want to, I guess, I guess that relationship's not going to happen. Being a friend is risky, but it's, it's worth it. Can't give up. Because somewhere along the way, as you take the intentional position of saying, I'm going to be the person that's the investor, you will reap the reward. If you ever go to Washington, D.C., on the, I think it's the east side of the reflecting pool, there's a picture of, or not a picture, a statue of Ulysses S. Grant. It's, you might have recognized if you've ever been there. I know the slides have been kind of in and out. Are they working today? Okay, yeah, they are. Capital in the background, reflecting pool right here. It's one of our, it's a beautiful monument. You, you can't miss it if you're walking through Washington, D.C. To celebrate, to tell the story of Ulysses S. Grant and how he led our nation. But about two and a half miles away in kind of a, a nondescript park, uh, a, a nice one, but not, not a famous one, is this statue on the bottom right of Major General John Rawlins. You, you can easily miss that one. In fact, if you're touring D.C., I'm pretty sure it's not on the must-see list. That, that statue's been moved to eight different locations over its lifetime. It's not that big of a deal. But the story's pretty interesting because they were close friends. In fact, Rawlins was the chief of staff of Grant, and he became the chief of staff because when he was a lawyer in the town in which Grant lived, they became good friends. And when <coughs> Grant was given uh, command of the army, he brought Rawlins as his chief of staff to help him out. Now, here's what history doesn't tell us on the front end unless you li- dig a little deeper. Ulysses S. Grant struggled with alcoholism. He liked alcohol a little more than the average guy. And Rawlins, as a friend, knew that. And before the war began, or before Grant's engagement in the war began, they had a conversation and a pact was made where Rawlins, knowing what could happen, knowing how Grant handled his alcohol, said, this this is not a good mix of you being this much power and predisposed towards decisions you make when you're drunk. They made the pact that Rawlins let out in that Grant would not drink while he was leading the military. I wonder, like, what would have happened? 
had Grant not had a Rollins? There's a guy that had, one guy's famous, the other guy's not. Right? Anybody ever even heard of Rollins? Maybe a history buff? I'd never heard of him. Here are two guys, friends, one famous, one we know well, one who has the big statue, the other one is a lesser-known guy that most people don't know, but one of them chose, you know what, I'm going to be a friend, and I know what you need, and I'm going to hold you accountable to what you need, not just for you, but for the country. And I wonder, what, what could history have been like had Rollins not been the type of friend that we need to be to other people? Here's the second thing. Begin, think. Who is it that you could intentionally be a friend to this week? That's, that's how you act it out. Your neighbors, somebody at work that you go, you know what? I'm going to invite so-and-so to lunch. I'm going to see, we get lunch at the same time. See if they just want to go to lunch. I'll buy their lunch and just find out about their life. You'd be surprised what might happen. Here's the second thing. We're going to make this a safe place. Certainly on a Wednesday night when I'm talking to teenagers, definitely. I... I we did the ask anything about anything. I think it was this last summer. And somebody, I opened up the thing. I don't know if y'all, if you're here, remember, and I, I read it and it said something like, you know, are you aware that there are cliques in the youth ministry and what can you do about it? And everybody went, <gasps> when I went, yes and nothing. And I threw the paper down and everybody went, what? That's not how you're supposed to answer that question. Talk about this. You know, what a, you know what a clique is, right? A clique is a group of friends who exist here that have been named that by someone else who's not in that group. That's all it is. Somebody that wants to be in that group. There, there's not a, this, this group of people who are the quote-unquote clique. They're, they're not gathered around going, you know what would be cool? What if we could be one of these? They're called cliques. It'd be, could we be one of those? What do we need to do? It's just a group of friends that have lost sight of what it means to look outward. That's what it means. A clique is rarely intentional. It's, it's the word used by the person who feels left out. The people in the group don't refer to themselves as that way. And so what we talked about then is that that always happens because it's human nature. We're drawn towards people and we, we get in our connections, our relationships, and we forget to look outwards. And so we talked with kids this week about making this a safe place, making this in a small group a place where a kid can walk in who doesn't know anybody, who doesn't feel connected, and we've trained ourselves because we know that Jesus-driven friendships Keep a, break, a broken world from breaking. As we know that, and as we help others do the same, we want that for others. And so we go, hey, I do have my group of friends. I love having my group of friends. But hey, we got to remember, and it's just that, is remember to be intentional to look out, to see who's over there and to go, hey, hold on for a second. And we go over and we greet somebody and learn their name. So we ask our leadership track kids to do. I ask my mentees all the time, can you name every person? If I walk in to your department, can you name every person? And if you can't, Somebody walks in, you just better be thinking, Brett's going to walk in and ask me to do every name. I don't know that person. You need to ask their name. We just got to start thinking that way and then say, hey, come hang out with us. Like I stopped asking kids a long time ago. I stopped asking kids to go, hey, hey, there's a new guy. Can you just hang out with him all, all day? He comes on Wednesday. I say, hey, here's a new guy. Can you take him with your friends? Just take him with your group. He, he doesn't really want, when it's his first time here on a Wednesday night, he doesn't, he doesn't really want all of the special attention of, you know, being like, you know, singled out. But you'd love to have some people to sit with. And we can do that with other people. You see, just people, you don't, hey, come sit with us. And so here's the thing. Kids, we know we feel it as parents because we've all had kids probably at some point that were on the outside looking in. We've also had kids that are on the inside not looking out. But we've also done it, right? We come into this place. 
head over to our circle because we know some people there. We recognize some people from across the way, but we don't really know them. We don't. I mean, what if somebody came in for the first time on a Sunday morning? Here's, here's how you can tell if it's the first time. They look like they're totally lost and clueless. You know why? Because they're totally lost and clueless. That, that's why they... What if we were just, I mean, what if it was a fight to run over there and, hey, come, hey, why don't you come sit in our small group? Ah, you don't want to go in their small group. You want to come to our small group. Uh, and, and, and we were engaged with them to go, hey, we want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel like this is a safe place. That, that would be powerful. That, that's what small groups are meant to be. And as adults, we live really busy lives, and sometimes it's difficult for us to lean into our small group. I want to encourage you slash challenge you slash I don't know if I'm allowed to command you, but if I will command you to make these groups matter outside of Sunday morning. Some of the most important people in my life are my home group. I don't have a small group. On Sunday, I'm around different places. But I have a home group. We don't even meet every week. We meet about once every three weeks or so. But we gather at my house, and we study Scripture together. We're going through Psalm 119 right now. We're just using a right now media thing, watching Matt Chandler talk about Psalm 119, and then then we talk about it. Those are the people I'm doing. Those are the people that I know um, that tomorrow morning, when I can't get out of bed because I played two hours of basketball with junior high boys, and if you add up the number of hours I played basketball in the last 10 years, it adds up to two hours. Um, And they were both yesterday. When I can't feel anything, and I'm like, hey, I might need somebody to bring me food because I can't get my feet to the floor. That's who I'm going to call because we're doing life together. And I know that, that that is a safe place. The conversations that we have in our home group, I won't share with you because they're deep and they're sensitive and they're not trusted with people that don't know well. You need, you need people. You need to be a friend. You need to make this a safe place to make your small group a place that, that we long to go to because we know that that's where our people are. And then here's the third thing. we got to fight together. You go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Chapter 4, I'm sorry. Verse 12. Solomon says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. I want you to think for a second about how the enemy works. Satan? You realize he does his best work when you're isolated? That's the the big, strong enemy that's attacking. Sin usually happens when we're in isolation. And I'm not just talking about like home alone. I'm talking about when we have no one, when we have no one challenging us, when we have no one that that knows our weaknesses and can ask ask the the, the hard questions, that know that you're wrestling with pride, or you're wrestling with gossip, or you're wrestling with some sort of addiction, or you're wrestling, you've made a commitment that you're going to love your spouse better, or disciple your kids better, and and to have that person that's there along, cheering you along, asking you the hard question that that, that says, hey, have you done this this week? Hey, did you have some spiritual conversations at home with your, they texted you and said, hey, we just went through the yap with our family. Have you done it yet? That type friend that's, that's pushing you, challenging you, keeping you accountable. We have to fight together. That's that whole picture of Ecclesiastes. I love the way the New Living Translation gives us, we stand back to back because there's a spiritual war going on. I don't know about you guys, and I said guys meaning men in here, maybe ladies like this. Is anybody like me, like if a, if a Navy SEAL TV show or Navy SEAL movie comes on, like you're there, like I am. My favorite show right now is SEAL Team. I also record six. It's, it's, I don't know if it got canceled. Been on, I, lo- I will watch. I don't even own a whole lot of like DVDs for me. 
there was a TV show years ago called The Unit. I own every DVD. Like, I mean, it's, I, I, there's some times where I do ask the Lord, why did you not give me boys that we could watch these together with? Because my girls have no interest whatsoever. Love SEAL Team. You know what's, what's interesting about SEAL Team, things like that? They're never alone. They don't run individual missions. They fight as a team, and they all have their different roles, and they've got each other's back. And as you watch as they go through, they even do things in positioning their weapons to make sure that each of them are covered at all times. John Rambo is fake. Like, that dude, that's not real. Real warriors fight together. You know who fights alone? Think about it. Any horror movie fans? The psychopaths. Right, that's the guy with the machete. That's, that's the hockey mask. Those are the people that fight alone. And, and all, interesting, follow the analogy. Who do they go after? Groups of teenagers, usually. But, but when do they get them? When they're all on their own. The movie doesn't work when the bad guy shows up with a bunch of other bad guys. Everybody grab the machetes out of the truck. And they go chase a whole group of kids. It's one, and he, so here's the question. You want to be a Navy SEAL or a psychopath? That's what you've got to decide. <laughs> we fight together. We need the people that have our back. They're going to go through the spiritual journey because we know that Jesus-centered friendships help keep a broken world from breaking us. You've got to have your people because we're better together. I'll tell you one last story and give you some time to talk. There's a, two kids. One's name is Dylan Hill and one's name is Chris Betancourt. Best friends since fourth grade when Chris Betancourt uh, discovered that he had leukemia. And Dylan, being best buds with Chris, was a good friend through the, the battle with leukemia when they were in junior high, I think up in high school. It made a regular basis to do, I mean, you know, you know what a, a best friend or a guy can do for another friend, go to his house, play video games with him. You know, they did that, loved his friend well, and, and right as high school was coming to an end, Chris was pronounced clear of leukemia. And they celebrated together as a family. They celebrated friendships and his friend who walked the journey along with them. They graduated, went to college, and when they were in college, the leukemia and the cancer came back to Chris. Now, here's what happened in Dylan's life. And as a parent, you might go, oh, man, this makes me uncomfortable. Dylan dropped out of college when Chris got cancer for the second time. Dylan dropped out of college and made his personal mission to raise awareness and funds for his buddy who was fighting leukemia. Started an organization to, to get the word out, to, to bring attention to the matter. And one of the ways that he did it is he sat down with Chris and they made a bucket list. And Chris said, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. If I don't survive it, I want to live life to the fullest. And so they made a bucket list of all the things that Chris wanted to do in case he didn't make it. And Dylan started helping him check off those bucket list items and then was videoing it, making videos and uploading it online. And some of those things went viral. One of the things they wanted to do is to get tattoos. So they got matching tattoos. And I don't know what the tattoo was, but it had reference to the TV show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, I think's the name of the show. And, and as it went viral and was on Reddit and things like that, some of the actors from the show saw it and were so inspired by it, they started working to get uh, Danny DeVito in, to, who was one of the characters, one of the actors in the show, to meet these kids. And I don't know if this ever happened, but they were working with the producers to try to get both these boys on an episode. Like, Man, that is so cool. That's a big deal, though. Donating kidney, dropping out of college, 
But wouldn't you want the type of friend that your deepest, darkest moment was willing to run the distance for you? So we're better together. We need each other. We need Jesus-centered friendships to help keep this broken world we live in from breaking us. Kids need Jesus-centered friendships. And adolescence is hard. But if you have friends that you're walking with, you can help your kids walk as well. I'm going to pray for us. And you're going to have 15, 20 minutes to talk through some questions that are in the yap. If you need to talk about other things in your group, do that. Let me pray. Lord, I, I think it's easy enough for us to pray that we as parents and as people and as disciples would rather be the Navy SEAL than the psychopath. Lord, we want people, but we also know that we need to be people. So God, I pray that as we talked about some things of being a friend, making this small group a safe place, a deep place, we talked about fighting together, having accountability. God, I pray that, that some of those things are uh, whatever, Lord, that you're doing, that you would give us one thing, one step that we could take this week to walk closer to our life lining up with Ecclesiastes chapter 4, that we would really begin to live better together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you got a few minutes. Talk, and then Michael or Scott or Gary or somebody, maybe me, will come close it all up.